Hey, it's so good to be together here on the Bible and Life podcast. You know, one of the things that has really impressed itself upon me over the years of following Jesus and learning the Bible is this. Jesus was the wrong kind of Messiah, and that's a really, really good thing. And that's what I want to explore with you in this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. As we begin, I want to say welcome to each one of you who are listening to this show, and I want to give a special welcome to my listeners in Japan and Nigeria and Russia. I am so glad that you are part of the Bible and Life family, and thanks for tuning in to this episode. And if you're new, special welcome to you as well. We on the Bible and Life like to give what I call blue jeans theology. That is theology for everyday life, Bible teaching that's rooted in everyday life, that's communicated in the language of everyday life so that all of us together can be rooted more deeply in the text and uh, follow Jesus just a little bit more and a little bit more faithfully. And so that's really our heart behind the show. And if you find that helpful to you, man, I, it would be great if you would leave a review on iTunes and let people know how this show has really benefited you or share it on social media. And again, let people know that, hey, this show is out there. It's been really helpful to me. It might be helpful to you as well. All right. On this episode, we want to look at uh, the Gospel of Mark, and we want to do so to help us understand what kind of Messiah Jesus was. And I really want to focus on a passage at the heart of the Gospel of Mark, really in the center of the book, like center chapter-wise, but also center in in the flow of the story, the way the story of the Gospel of Mark unfolds. So, the Gospel of Mark is one of the books that tells the story of Jesus, and it really unfolds in two big chunks. And in the middle of those two chunks is sort of a hinge passage, a pivot point in the middle of Mark that really shows up right in the middle of the book, Mark chapter 8. And it's an important text for a number of reasons, but just in the literary flow of the Gospel of Mark, this text is central. It helps us understand Jesus more, and as a result of understanding Jesus, it helps us understand how we're supposed to live as well. So Mark chapter 8, verse 27 and following, that's where we want to be in this episode. It's the text where Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? They tell some of the answers that people give. Then Jesus looks at them and says, well, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And in that context, Peter answers and says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, don't tell anyone. And then immediately Jesus goes in and begins to talk about how he's going to be rejected and beaten and crucified and killed when he gets to Jerusalem. And it literally rocks the disciples' world because it's so out of sorts with everything they expected. Now, I want to set that text, before we look at the details, into the overall context of the, the Gospel of Mark, to the big flow of the Gospel of Mark. This text, where Jesus is saying, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Is the culmination of the first seven and a half, almost eight chapters of the Gospel. Uh, the beginning of the Gospel of Mark revolves around the question, who is Jesus? Who is this one? And so Mark tells through lots of little snapshots about uh, from Jesus' life, he tells the story of Jesus 
really helping us get a glimpse of who is he? Who is Jesus? Who is this one? And so we see all these little snapshots pointing in that direction, answering that question of who is Jesus. And so at this point in the story, when Jesus asks this question, we're at the culmination of that. Who is Jesus? And what we need to realize is Peter and the disciples get the answer right. They get the answer right. You're the Messiah but they have no clue what that means. And so they get the answer right, and they get the answer wrong all at the same time. And so let's work down through this so we can we can hear what they're saying. Picking up Mark chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus went along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, which is up in northern Israel. Um, way up towards the top, Caesarea Philippi was an important city. It's actually named, as you can hear, the name Caesar, right? Caesarea, it's an important Roman uh, city in there. And Jesus asks them while they're there, who do people say that I am? What are you hearing from the reports of the crowds and all of that, right? And his disciples answered and said, well, um, some people say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say one of the prophets. And so all these different perspectives on Jesus, John the Baptist presumably come back from the dead, Elijah, who was supposed to come before uh, the day of the Messiah. Others say maybe you're like one of the great prophets of old. Now we've got a prophet back among us, so you're a prophet. And then Jesus says, well, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers and says to him, you are the Christ, the Messiah. That's the word Christ, the word Messiah that Christ is Greek, Messiah is Hebrew. They just mean anointed. You're the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that the promised deliverer, the one that we've been looking forward to. You're the Messiah. And Jesus warned them to tell no one about him. All right, so don't want you, okay, you're right. Don't tell anyone about me. And partly because it's too early in his ministry, partly because they don't understand what that means, he wants to keep this on the down low until he can do some more teaching and training of his apostles. And so verse 31 then says, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And then after three days, rise again. Well, you may be familiar, the phrase son of man, that's just Jesus' way of referring to himself. It comes out of Daniel chapter seven, where Daniel has this vision of one like a son of man who is caught up to the throne of God and sits next to the Ancient of Days. He's God's right-hand man. He's going to rule over God's kingdom on God's behalf. That's who the Son of Man is. So when Jesus uses this title as a way to refer to himself, he's evoking images of Daniel chapter 7 and this glorified human being who's in charge of God's kingdom there in Daniel chapter 7. And so he began to teach them, that the Son of Man, this Messiah, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, be killed, and after three days rise again. Now let's put this in that first century Jewish context. Peter has just said on behalf of all the other disciples, we know who you are, you're the Messiah. And in essence, Jesus is like, you're right, and don't tell anyone that yet, because we've got more work to do. And then he begins to explain what it means for him to be the Messiah. He's going to suffer and die and raise, uh, rise again. And 
that is like completely at odds with the picture of the, decide, uh, the Messiah they expected. For us, that's what we're used to thinking of. We think of Jesus as a Messiah. He's the one who died for our cross. That's just not what they expected. Uh, There was not uh, uniformity among uh, early Jewish beliefs about the Messiah. Um, In fact, some Jews didn't even speak about the Messiah that much. But among those who spoke about the Messiah, though there were some different details, different opinions about the Messiah, one of the things that was pretty much unanimous and pretty much crystal clear is that the Messiah was going to be a great deliverer who would deliver the Jews from their Gentile oppression in the case of the first century, they were under Roman occupation. Rome was the world power. Rome was in charge. And so one of the, the things that was pretty clear among in Messianic expectations was that the Messiah was going to be a great deliverer. He was going to liberate the Jews from Roman occupation and Roman oppression, and they would no longer be under the yoke of the Gentiles. They would actually be elevated to be a, a great nation, perhaps the greatest nation on earth, through whom God's truth and God's wisdom would go out. That was sort of the dominant picture for the Messiah, at least one of the the most unanimous things about their messianic expectations was that. Um, well, here Jesus says, "Yeah, I am the Messiah," and here's what that means: I'm actually going to uh, be rejected, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to rise again. That's completely out of sorts with everything they expected, and so. Um, this is how Peter responds to that. And Jesus was stating the matter plainly, all right? Like, he, we're not, no code, no confusion. He's making it crystal clear. This is who I am. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Catch that. Uh, Peter has just said, you're the Messiah. Jesus is trying to clarify what that means. I'm not the kind of Messiah you're expecting. I'm a different kind of Messiah, maybe even the wrong kind of Messiah. And Peter doesn't like it. So Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. No, Jesus, that's not right. We just said you're the Messiah. You've demonstrated that for the whole time we've been with you, that you're the Messiah. We believe that. So what are you talking about, Jesus? And he begins to rebuke him. Now, verse 33 Notice what Jesus does, but turning around and looking at his disciples. So Jesus physically turns his back to Peter. He looks at the rest of his disciples. He rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Notice Jesus is physically turned around. And so literally he has put Peter behind him because he wants to make this really clear. Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on God's things but on man's things. What Jesus is saying to the disciples, as well as to Peter, he's saying to this whole lot of them, wait, you've got to think about the Messiah the way God thinks about the Messiah, not the way humans think about the Messiah. Your mind is wrong because you're letting human expectations, human opinions, uh, human descriptions of the Messiah Fill your picture of what the Messiah is supposed to be, and I'm not that kind of Messiah. And so he he uses very strong language to try to jolt Peter and the rest of the disciples away. No, you've got to set your mind on God's things, God's interests, God's way of understanding the Messiah. And now in verse 34, Jesus summons the crowd along with his disciples. So he gathers all the crowd together that are there, and he says to them, look, let's get this really clear. 
if anyone wishes to come after me, that is, if anyone wants to be my disciple, if anyone wants to be a follower of mine, whether in the first century in their day or today, these words hold true. So if you want to be a follower of Jesus, then you need to listen very closely to what he's about to say. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He has to deny his uh, his opinions about life, his preferences. He has to deny his preconceived notions about the Messiah and about power and about what's important and what matters. He has to deny his pre-understanding about how evil is going to be defeated and how God's kingdom is going to come and how uh, God is going to make all things new. We got to deny all of that. We got to deny our 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 fleshly ambitions and the standards of the world and the way we deal with conflict and the way we do family life. We got to deny all of that. Take up our cross, he says, and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, 2,000 years of church history has led us to uh, believe that the cross is a beautiful thing, and justifiably so. But in the first century, when someone heard, take up his cross, what picture came to mind? Well, it wasn't a nice, sanded, polished wood cross hanging on the wall in a church building. Uh, When they heard the word cross, they knew exactly what that meant. Many of them had probably seen people writhing in agony on a cross as they slowly suffered and died. A cross was an instrument of execution, of really it was a a state-sponsored Roman torture device, right? Like the the Roman government used it as sort of a, a way of torturing people to death who were at odds with the will of the empire, who were a threat to the stability of the empire, who in some way had had committed some act of rebellion or revolt. And Rome was like, we need to make an example of these people or this person. And so they hung them on a cross while they slowly, agonizingly suffocated and died while they hung there. Cross was a brutal instrument of torture. And Jesus' original audience knew that. They knew that. It wasn't just wasn't just a, a pretty word. It, it, it was a visceral experience when because they knew what it meant to take up your cross. And Jesus is saying, that's part of being a follower of mine. Take up your own cross and follow me. Why? Because Jesus just told them he's going to he's going to be rejected, he's going to be killed, and then he's going to rise again. He's on a path towards crucifixion. He's on a path He's got a a date with a Roman cross very shortly, right? And that's part of what it means to follow Jesus is that that willingness to die, that dying to ourself. And so he says in verse 35, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. Whoever gives up and loses his life for Jesus' sake And for the sake of the news about Jesus, that's what the word gospel means, the gospel's sake, right? Living for the gospel, being rooted in the gospel, telling the story of the gospel, um, celebrating the gospel, and uh, whoever loses their life for that, they will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul, forfeit his life? For what will man give in exchange for a soul, his life? The word soul 
nephesh in Hebrew and psuche in Greek means life. It means everything that makes you you, right? Like, what will one, what, what's a person going to give in exchange for that? Um, and then he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And in the context of what he's talking about, like being ashamed of his, the kind of Messiah he is. The kind of Messiah who's going to lay down his life. The kind of Messiah who's going to be rejected uh, by the very Jewish leaders that supposedly he came to, to save and supposedly he was supposed to be king over and who was going to be supposedly celebrated by them. That's just not the way it's going to play out. Now he's going to be uh, rejected and killed. And he's like, if you're ashamed of me and the kind of Messiah I am, well, then I will be ashamed of you. We've got to identify with the Messiah that Jesus is. We've got to embrace the kind of Messiah we is, and we've got to imitate the kind of Messiah is. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, in the big flow of the Gospel of Mark, we've we've gone through seven and a half, eight chapters at this point, raising the question: Who is Jesus? Who is Je- who is this one? Who is this person? Who is this man? Um, And so Jesus then asked the disciples at this point, they get the answer right. You're the Messiah. Is that the right answer? Is that the right answer? Yes, it's the right answer. But at the same time, they get the answer 100% wrong. Why? Because in their mind, to say he's the Messiah is they picture a conquering king who's going to overpower the Romans with a massive display of power and uh, put them in their place, liberate the Jews from that. And that's not the kind of Messiah that Jesus is. Jesus is the wrong kind of Messiah. Jesus is the kind of Messiah who, instead of uh, conquering with a massive display of uh, power that just vanquishes all his enemies in that moment, Jesus is going to actually be killed by the Jews and by the Romans, the very ones supposedly he was supposed to defeat and overthrow He is going to be killed on a Roman cross. Um, And so from this point forward in the Gospel of Mark, uh, you begin to notice Jesus focuses more and more of his attention on the twelve. And this theme of Jesus, we're on our way to Jerusalem. The Messiah is going to be rejected. He's going to suffer and die. Then he's going to rise again. And the disciples are like, wait, that doesn't make sense. And then he will say it again. No, we're on our way to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and die. And then I'll rise again. And they're really struggling to get this because it's so at odds with their picture of what the Messiah was. And so from this point forward in the Gospel of Mark, Mark begins to turn our attention, not to just the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, but to the fact of what kind of Messiah he is. He's a Messiah who wins by losing. He's a Messiah who conquers by being conquered. He's a Messiah who saves by laying down his life. He's going to deliver his people through self-giving love. That's the kind of Messiah he is. He's going to lay down his life for people. Well, as his followers, here in Mark 8, we're called to imitate that, right? If you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, imitate me, walk this way. This is the pattern I'm giving you. This is the way you live your life. If we are going to be the Messiah's people, then we need to live the Messiah's way. And the way the Messiah lived was 
self-giving love, self-sacrifice, laying down his life. That's Jesus' way. That's Jesus' way of defeating evil. That's Jesus' way of bringing his kingdom. And that's the way, therefore, we need to live. And we need to recognize that's how God intends to take evil out of circulation. That's how God intends to make all things new is through the self-giving love of Jesus. And in that spirit, I think of Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12 really, in like just a few short verses, tells the story of Jesus. It's kind of the nativity story. There's a dragon. The dragon represents the devil. He wants to eat the a male child that the woman's about to give birth to, who's the Messiah. He, he fails to do that. The Messiah is caught up to his throne, and now he reigns, right, as the son of man, as king next to God, right? And so he's been caught up to his throne. And then in Revelation 12, John tells us what he heard in his vision. As he's seeing all this play out in front of him, and he hears, he says, a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, at this point, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah has come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, the dragon, the serpent, the, the devil, right? Which means accuser or slander. He has been thrown down. And verse 11, and listen, they, the Messiah's people, us, they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb. And because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even to the point of death. Do you hear that? That the Messiah's people win the same way the Messiah won. By losing, by laying down their life, by self-sacrifice and self-giving love. Um, and so they triumphed by the blood of the Lamb. They triumphed by the word of their testimony because they didn't even love their life to the point of death. And so as the Messiah's people, looking through the gospel of Mark, hearing this story, the way to make our, our life count on behalf of Jesus is completely the opposite of the way the world would say to make your life count. The way up in Jesus' kingdom is down. Uh, the way to be great is to serve. Uh, the way to win is to to give away your life, to give away your power, right? That we, we live our life not through the power of getting, but through the power of giving. And we give our lives for the sake of others in all sorts of big and small ways, day in and day out. That's God's strategy. It may seem backwards. It's counterintuitive. It goes against the grain of this fallen world that uh, grasps for power, clamors for power, tries to win by conquering and climbing over the top of people, but that's not Jesus' way. And so as those who are followers of Jesus, may we not love our life to the point of death. May we be willing to lay down our life like Jesus laid down his life. May we take up our cross and walk the way that Jesus walked with the power of self-giving love. That's the kind of Messiah Jesus was, that's the kind of people Jesus, the Messiah, is forming in and through us. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life Podcast. That message is super challenging to me and yet super encouraging. I pray it's the same for you. And before we leave, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you who donates to make this ministry possible. Man, thanks a ton. Couldn't do it without you. Literally couldn't do it without you. So thanks a ton. God bless each and every one of you. 
May you have a wonderful week in Jesus. God bless. We'll talk to you again next week.